the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Good morning. Wonderful to see you all. So Jesus says to Simon, let's go into deeper water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon is thinking to himself, what does this guy think he is? Right? I'm the professional fisherman here. What does he know? He's just a carpenter. So with great restraint, not a little bit of condescension, he says to Jesus, Master, we already worked all night. We caught nothing. What? Okay, okay, Jesus, don't look at me like that. Okay, if it makes you feel better. And then, of course, they throw down the nets and catch a giant school of fish, so many that their nets are breaking and the boats begin to sink. And Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. Henceforth, you will be catching people. Those of us who grew up with evangelical Christianity will recognize this story as one of our defining texts. As Christians, according to this interpretation, we're supposed to be fishing for people, which has always troubled me. I mean, I can't help thinking about it from the fish's perspective. <laughs> there I am, happily swimming about, slurping up delicious little organisms from the muddy bottom of the lake, and suddenly I'm trapped in a net and hauled up into a boat, and a hundred of other fishes are with me, and we're all gasping for breath, suffocating in the thin air, desperately flopping around trying to get back into the water, and then we all die and get eaten. <laughs> it's a terrible metaphor for, for the joyful, life-altering experience of religious conversion. There's no freedom of choice here, no deep discernment of your spiritual journey, no middle of the night reckoning with your higher power, just get in the boat and die. So I don't know, I, I, I'm more of a catch and release evangelist. <laughs> it's because I'm a liberal, you know, so. Anyway, for centuries, this unfortunate story has found enormous and tragic currency with the shadow side of Christianity the side that needs to feel superior to other religions, considers itself under a divine mandate to convert people by any means necessary, which is exactly why so many people don't trust Christianity and who can blame them, really. Over the years, I've known a number of evangelicals themselves who were under the spell of this grim meet-your-quota-of-souls mandate they were convinced that they had to share what they thought was the gospel with every person they met in elevators, in airplanes, office cubicles. And it was this huge weight on their shoulders because they could never just relax, you know, and take some private time on the airplane with their headphones on. They had to be ever vigilant, always ready to share the good news just in case the person they were sitting next to should die that night and end up burning an eternal hellfire just because they were being selfish. I thought I was done with that form of Christianity decades ago, around the time I decided there is no hell. But 
lately, I've been noticing in me more subtle ways in which that spirit is still alive, alive and well, not only in me, but inside liberal Christianity. It's in the heaviness of so much liberal religion, the way we can turn our religion into a solemn list of do's and don'ts, how our greatest joy and our deepest love can be made into a chore, a thing we ought to do. It's like our parents set this beautiful, freshly baked slice of apple pie in front of us and said, eat it, it's good for you. Yeah? No self-respecting child is going to go near that pie. <laughs> Before we even get a chance to taste this delicious world on its own terms, we've got to negotiate our way past our parents' overbearing expectations, our teachers' finger-wagging scoldings, and then our own self-protective need to do the opposite of whatever they're telling us to do. And we never get a chance to discover that delicious apple pie in its simple, marvelous deliciousness before we're sternly instructed, you know, to stop squirming. The last thing anyone should have to endure is to be, you know, browbeaten into the discovery of their own joy, you know? But that's exactly how Christianity can come across. It's like all the wonderful novels in high school and college that I had to kind of choke down, like a ritual force feeding, never allowed to savor the text, ever mindful of what might be on the exam, never experiencing the sheer pleasure of reading great books for their own sakes on their own terms. It shrivels me, not to get off on a rant here, but it shrivels me when I think about all the browbeating and finger-wagging so many of our children are subjected to on an average school day these days. How often kids are told they have to work hard, you know, as if success comes only to those who can keep their nose to the grindstone the longest. Rarely do I see parents and teachers who show their kids what it's like to fall in love with their lives, you know? to find that thing that you love and follow it wherever it leads. Instead, it's a daily diet of grim, hypervigilant supervision with little time for real play. And real play is not a temporary respite from soul-crushing schoolwork, but rather, of course, a deeply playful engagement with life. Fortunately for us here at Trinity Cathedral, we teach our children according to the Montessori-based godly play approach, which is all about cultivating a child's natural wonder and awe. And we develop our worship and adult education classes with a singular focus on what we're wondering about and what brings us joy. Fun fact, did you know that neuroscientists have discovered a biological link between a person's capacity for wonder and awe and their resiliency under stress? Isn't that interesting? It's true, they've done these brain scans using fun functional MRI machines, and they found that people who have a strong aesthetic response to things like symphonies, or sitting under the stars at night. People who frequently experience goosebumps in art galleries and concert halls 
which, by the way, is technically called aesthetic chill responses. I'm not making that up. <laughs> Those persons are more likely to experience the slings and arrows of our lives as positive learning experiences rather than as, rather than as negative flight or fight situations. Or as they so elegantly put it in the study I read yesterday, they have higher connectivity with their salience networks. I love that. Higher connectivity with their salience networks. That's what I want to be. <laughs> All of which is to say that Trinity's enormous emphasis on aesthetic experience, our enormous investment in music and the arts, is actually teaching our brains to be more resilient to life's stressors. Which makes perfect sense to me as I look out over this congregation and I think about how we have weathered the crises of the last two years. And we've done well. For the past few weeks, our friend Fumi Tosu has been teaching a, a lovely series on Ignatian spirituality at our 9 o'clock Sunday Forum. And last week he shared this poem by a Jesuit priest named Joseph Whalen. Fall in love, it's called. Nothing is more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. Falling in love in a quite absolute final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love. Stay in love. And it will decide everything. Fall in love. It will decide everything. What if Father Whalen is right? What if the only question that our religion needs to be asking us is this? What and who are you falling in love with? Will we spend our lives scolding ourselves into obedience to a celestial rule book? Or will we be allowing ourselves the earth-shaking, life-affirming joy that comes to those who are finding their greatest and highest love? You know, I myself carry around this harsh Midwestern inner voice that's constantly trying to take the fun out of everything I love to do by <laughs> comparing it to something else that's far more important than I should be doing. Anybody else have that little voice? <laughs> it's like dumping half a pound of kale onto my chocolate cake. <laughs> but I think I'm done with that religion. I hereby declare myself done with that religion. I think I'm done with a religion of shoulds and oughts, because nobody falls in love out of a sense of obligation. What if it's just that simple, you know? What if religion doesn't need to be this burlap bag full of shoulds and oughts that we're grimly lugging around all the long day? What if it's entirely about God setting us down in this exquisite playground called Earth and saying, go, play, 
Find your joy. I suspect I'm not alone in this. In fact, I believe that sentiment pretty much defines Trinity Cathedral. We're here because when Bruce launches into the Vidor Takata, we get goosebumps. We're here because when we're taking a Wednesday night class and someone opens up the deeper meanings of the classic text, the hairs on the back of our heads stand up. We're here because when we see the food pantry volunteers day in and day out spreading love and good cheer to our friends who line up outside our door for groceries, we're filled with gratitude. Speaking personally, I'm here because when I step up to this altar rail and I hand you that consecrated wafer and I look into your eyes and I take in the universe of love and sorrow and strength that lives inside you, I'm filled with a serene and thrumming joy. That is my religion. It's that simple. If I were a fisherman, I suppose it would be tantamount to hauling in the largest catch of my life. I imagine how those early disciples reacted when they made that catch, how it set them whooping and hollering with joy. And I imagine the sight made Jesus shout with pleasure. And come to think of it, that's not such a bad way to start a religion, you know? May we all do likewise. May we all be blessed with our own nets in our own, bed, our own boats, in our own sunny summer days, to be casting them out like the disciples into the deep water of joy and wonder. May it be so.